effective fitness combatives mission is to provide quality content and education for law enforcement officers through proven science-driven fitness and combatives. This EFC user course is a complete online program designed to elevate your approach to combatives with the ability to learn and train anywhere, anytime. Access the course materials through your browser at efcombatives.com or from the EF Combatives app available for download through Apple and Google Play stores. The course is broken down into easy-to-digest micro-learning modules, enabling you to move through the lecture, technique demonstration videos, and additional resources at your own pace. You also have direct access to industry-leading instructors for questions and feedback related to your training. After completion of this course, you will receive an EFC user certification that is valid for two years. We highly suggest you continue your combatives training at an EFC certified academy and continue on to other advanced courses within our curriculum. The victim mentality is actually a very interesting uh, topic simply because yeah. we even see that in the law enforcement training world. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you... And, and again, this is something we were talking about uh, prior, but, you know, the victim mentality uh, of when you call people out that aren't necessarily producing the best content ever. And the issue that I'm starting to realize is that people are entertaining subpar training. Like they, they entertain, oh, he's a good guy. He's just doing this because he really cares. That's great. I appreciate the intent behind it. But is it useful material? Yes or no? And then when you say it's not, or you deem it that's it's not the best, or it's subpar, or it's just a really shitty way to do things, people are like, oh, you're attacking me. Mm -hmm. so, oh, dude. No, dude. <laughs> I, I'm in for you. Want to? I, I. You want to talk about victim mentality? I'm in all day. We can burn the house down. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> no, man. No, man. Let's do it because you know. You know. Let's because I kind of want to dive into what you talk about or teach about the victim mentality because it, because that is an issue. Absolutely. It is. And, and just to, so you have a bit of an awareness I'm working. So I started collaborating with Gino Kalura and he is a behavioral therapist at the PhD level in the States. Him and I have now collaborated on a bunch of different projects because we were together as guest speaker on a, on a show and we became friends basically. And then we're like, Hey man, cool. You have the operational background to correlate some of my academic work and I can tell you why it works. And so what we've done and what I've done is I basically uh, tap Gino on the shoulder and said, Hey man, I want to run my curriculum by you because I need to understand why this works say from a neuroscience standpoint and from a neuroscience slash psychology mix, mix standpoint. And he's like, absolutely. I'm in, let's do it. So I'm, I'm telling him what my observations were. He's like, yes. So why this works is because of X, Y, and Z. So now I actually have that to draw upon. So I, I obviously always give him credit. So if I, if we do launch into some of this stuff, I will definitely give him credit, but, uh, but, but it's changed. It's elevated everything. You know, why is being comfortable with being uncomfortable important? Well, every, we see it, it's written on, on, on freaking t-shirts, but from a neuroscience standpoint, there is science behind that. Like, you know, and all those things. So we can really, we can really, if, if, if it bears on the conversation, I can, I can definitely provide some, uh, it does because I I'm very interested in this type of mentality 
simply because what are the root causes right now? I mean, I guess it depends on the demographic that you look at, kids, adults, whatever the case may be. You know, I I guess my, if I had to say what I thought the root causes were, I would say that social media and the projection of what people think is perfection, quote unquote. Uh, and that's, and when they don't reach that, they're like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm the worst. I suck at this. It's like, yeah, well, you might suck at it. That is true. But that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Is that, is that kind of like, so what are the root causes that you guys have found? For that victim mentality. Well, so we don't focus on causality. Basically, we we really don't. We're what we're focused on is recognizing it, right? So self awareness, self regulation. It's like if and I, and I give examples of of me, for example. You know, like I was giving a big talk. The talk was at three o'clock in the afternoon, for example, and now. I started fretting the fact that I was the last speaker of the day, that perhaps they were going to be tired, that I was going to, you know, and so I started going down the rabbit hole of being a victim myself. And I'm like, I caught myself and I was like, you're going to snap out of this. You're going to go out there and you're going to go do exactly what you need to be doing that you know you can be doing that you've prepared to do. And I logically over, over, overrode it. Right. And that's one piece that's very important. Comfort is an emotion, right? Like it's, it's an emotion. So if it's an emotion, it can be overridden most of the time, unless it's very, very triggering. Right. And if it isn't, you can actually override it with logic. So you're basically what you are doing is you're taking over from the amygdala and you're bringing the frontal cortex back online so that you're able to, you know, do certain things. And so it's not about so much what causes victim mentality. I really don't give a shit, you know, between you and I. Um, I want I want people to recognize it because there's always going to be things about your character your character that is flawed. And if you if you are self-aware, you can always catch little things that you are doing. And so I, I, I'd rather just focus on that rather than focus on because so, so here's where this kind of, in my opinion, this gets weird. People, people are, they need to have actionable items, something that they can do, you know, a simple thing. Cause it's almost goes in line, hand in hand with the instant gratification thing. It's like, well, give me something that I can use right now. But I also prefer it. I also prefer to give them that because if we're having a conversation, they get five points out of it and those five points are immediately applied versus, oh, I'm going to do it later and whatever, which later turns into never. Uh, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to have that. So that's why these, these conversation on those courses is, are critical because it gives them actionable items. When this happens, do this logically override it by speaking to you when you start feeling like an imposter, you know, imposter syndrome, which is very common. How do you overcome that? Like those types of things. And, uh, it's been great, man. It's been, it's been absolutely crazy. Some of the conversations, but also some of the observations between my world and Gino's world. And he works with you so common stuff. So he's not, he's not, you know, he's not exactly, uh, foreign to, to either tactical operation or operational side of things. But, um, but yeah, it's been it's been great for me because it's it's validated a lot of the observations and a lot that I've had over the years, right? Whether yeah, in selection I, process and yeah, I think that you hit on one term that I I really really uh, like to harp on is the self awareness. Yes, dude, let's do it. Self awareness, self assessing, mm-hmm. whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, those are very. Uh, those, those can, just like you said, you said self-awareness and rabbit holes, mm-hmm. those two things right there, man, get people either allow them to do things really, really well, 
or just makes things way, way worse, right? Like yeah. those fucking rabbit holes, dude, they, you can get on those and you can just be like, I'm, my head's going to fall off tomorrow. You know what I mean? Just cause I read something or, or, you know, wherever your brain goes, but just, you know, just like you said, the capping of certain mentalities uh, and then redirecting that, redirecting that energy somewhere else. It's super important. And it, that is a skill that is a workable, trainable skill. Sure. It is um, just now, like any others. Yeah. And so let me ask you this too, in y'all's, you know, research that you guys have been doing, mm-hmm. what has it been like to deal with people who are just complete dumpster fires? <laughs> like just, they, they are just like, I'm the worst. I suck. I'm mm-hmm. terrible. I, I see no light in until I'm not sure why I'm here. All these, you know, dark, dark thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, I mean, you know, cause obviously there is, I'm not a huge fan of like, pharmaceutical intervention. I'm always like, let's exhaust some of the, some of the behavioral changes first Mm -hmm. um, before we get into that. But like, how do you even manage, like, where do you start with someone like that? Yeah. So for me with, with my clients or with the people I help, like if they have like PTSD, occupational stress injury or something like that, I generally, if there is a risk of harm, like a risk of immediate harm, that's the medication route. Like there's no question, like you can't, you can't mess that up. I mean, and it's not to say that the medication makes it perfect. Cause sometimes by the time the adjustment period is done with the medication, sometimes they can be more suicidal. So it doesn't necessarily fix. It's not a fix to all right. things, but in a lot of cases, it, it, it's a better option than the alternative, which is do nothing and hope they don't kill themselves. Right. Um, and so it depends how far down the spectrum they are. Right. If they're if they're reaching out, if they're having this conversation with me, if they're bringing, if they're telling me like I'm a dumpster fire, I'm this, I'm that. Well, first things first is you reached out, so that means that you're not as bad as you portrayed to be, and you're magnifying right now. You're spotlighting. You're magnifying the risk around you know the way you are and everything. So you're being really hard on yourself, and that's generally what good people do. You know, so you just kind of start chipping away like this. And it's like, now I need you to understand this. And now you can start breaking down, you know, where it is that their issues are coming from. And not in a necessarily super deep psychological way, because I'm not qualified for that. But you'd be amazed, man. Like when you deal with cops and PTSD, occupational stress injury or military, the, the, the sort of the psychological help community is very, very foreign to the concept of service induced trauma. And there's very few, there's very few psychologists out there at the level operating at the level at which they should. And then there's another problem is that they, most of them do not involve neuroscience in the mix. And that is a big problem. You can't independently operate that. That's why people have PTSD go in and they get, they get psychological treatment for freaking 10 years. And they're like, it's, it's, it's helped, but that's it. Yes. Because the other half of your problem is coming from a neuroscience standpoint. And nobody's told you that your dopamine hits are this, that you're doing this, that you're experiencing thruff on account of X, Y, and Z, you know, so it has to be a seamless sort of holistic approach, right? Not sure yeah. if that makes any sense, but yeah, no, 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 no. It makes perfect sense because I, I'll tell you this right now, uh, and I'll give you an example. This might be going off topic a little bit, but that's what we do here. Um, hmm. So, I have anxiety over certain things, um, and it, it's 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 not to the point where I'm like I shut down and I'm you know shivering in the corner by any means, but it's just like it definitely preoccupies my mind when it shouldn't. 
Um, and one thing that's really, one thing that's really helped me. And then, uh, you know, talking about like the holistic approach, like obviously eating good foods, you know, eating enough protein, exercising is huge, right? Obviously there's, there's a whole bunch of research on, on exercising and, and, uh, dopamine and things like that. Mm -hmm. But one thing I did was, um, the day before Christmas Eve, um, I, I went to tractor supply and got a cattle trough. Now, granted, it's not as cold here as it is, uh, in your neck of the woods, but, um, I filled it up with water, about 150 gallon, uh, Rubbermaid cattle trough. And it was about 40 degrees ish. So it's cold enough. And I started doing the ice bath things or like the cold water exposure things. And I told myself, you're going to do it for a hundred days every day, regardless of, of the day outside, whether it's stormy, snowing, raining, freezing, hot, whatever. Okay. I made a deal myself. So I did it for a hundred days every single day. Some days where the water was literally 32 degrees, I had to break ice up. Some days the water was 50 degrees. And I was like, okay, it's not that bad. Um, to make a long story short, I was like, everybody was talking about, you know, Dr. Huberman, who also is actually a good friend of mine. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, all these other scientists are saying how, how beneficial it is. Not necessarily for recovery, right? So I started doing it. About 45 days in, I could tell a difference in my mentality. I'd do it first thing in the morning. I'd wake up, chug some water, get in the ice bath. That's it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't eat food. Maybe I say, what's up to my kids? And I go straight outside, right? Um, and man, it, it, it really set the tone for the day. And my attitude and my anxiety was way more controlled. And uh, people can say, oh, it's just, it's just you know, whatever. But man, it it really, really helped me, um, kind of calm that down. And so people ask me about it, like, Hey, you know, what'd you do? And I, I don't do it as often anymore because, you know, Grant, I don't have an actual cold plunge at my house. Um, but my buddy has one. So I used to sometimes would go to his and man, it is, uh, it's helped me. So I, I definitely believe in the holistic stuff, like the food and, and the supplements and some of them, even some of the mushrooms. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you guys ever deal with any of like, those type of approaches, psilocybin, that that type of stuff, treatment. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't deal with this specifically, but <clears throat> obviously, a lot of the people that I work with sure. or coach through some hard times are are reaching out and looking at the prospect of this uh, becoming something in in the in the provinces where you know it's or if there is legality around it, if it's if it's um, uh, duly sort of prescribed <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. um and and so and i know that i know that our senate is looking at like sending this to a different annex in the, in the criminal code so that certain things can be reclassified so that it can be researched further but there has been countries that have done extensive research on the on the subjects and right. obviously people can travel and and that kind of stuff so i'll leave it at that but what you what you speak to though is very interesting because you're you're speaking to exploration so you go from anxiety to exploration basically so i'd be very curious to see from a research standpoint and it would be somebody a lot smarter than me to do that but just to have a look at whether or not it was actually the cold water itself the cold water plunge itself that's actually changed something or you you know, adding that regimen to your routine, which interfered has become a, a pattern interrupt, so to speak, to your regular processes and made you, you know, getting, getting some wins, some small wins in the morning and, and just setting up your day, right. You know, you, when you, you start your day with three or four things that you do that are very, 
uh, that are planned and that and are are not easy. They're difficult. They're, they're, there's a bit of there's a built-in self a built-in adversity in there, even though it's ever so slightly. But you go out and you do this. You you know you feel better. You've done your workout. You've been up. You're good to go. You're ready for the day. All of those things are contributors, and 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 you are getting you know obviously pleasure hormone and dopamine hits from that as well. And and so you start tallying up those micro wins. And the more micro wins that you have in a day, the the less the things that you, you know, are not going exactly as planned are affecting you because you start having a reference point. Like I've done all of this today and now this happened, but look at what I did. Whereas most people go through life and all they focus on is the major events that are very impactful. So they will discount their daily activity and all the good things they're doing. And all of a sudden they will get to a major event. They will not perform at the level at which they they think they should, and they will be like a total failure. You know, I'm a total right. failure because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, whoa, man, give yourself a break here. If you go down the list of the things that you were supposed to line up, lining up your actions with your thoughts so that you can reach an end goal, you have done all of it. Okay. So now you have had a little hiccup here. It's just a speed bump. We move past that, right? So I'd be very curious from a research standpoint to see what actually helped you get yourself into exploration mode instead of the 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 anxiety side yeah i could see it being just again trying to self-assess correctly <laughs> i could see it be i could see it being a mixture of both i could see because it, it it sucks fucking mm-hmm. cold water mm-hmm. makes a coward of us all right like it it sucks but it's also when i do it and i get out like like of course my wife is just like whatever nerd, you know, I'm out there like, (laughs) she's like, and my kids are, you know, my kids love to just to play in the water basically. Um, you know, but I could see it being a mixture of both. I think too, you made a really good point when you talked about like the, like, you know, like the small wins and celebrating those small wins. And I definitely do not do that enough. Um, I'm pretty hard on myself for progress. So even if I do win, I don't really celebrate. I'm like, cool. that, that should have happened anyways, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I see it. But I feel like for certain objectives, you should be like, look how far you've come, looking at the the five-year graph and not the five-minute graph, right? And that's why I tell guys, like, if you if you invest your time and your energy correctly, like your graph may go down, but if you zoom out, you're gonna see that you're gonna see that it's you know going uphill as opposed to just going in a you know in a straight line. And I think I think being aware of that is, is extremely hard, uh, you know, for some people, I, I get reminded that of the things that we do good often. And it makes me, uh, and again, I, th- I think it just comes down to that structure is actually making time to think about the things you did good. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify, like, I, I don't mean, you know, celebrating you getting out of bed with some sort of, <laughs> right. you know, in, amazing dopaminergic, <laughs> right. do, dopaminergic, uh, you know, spike yeah. by thinking this was the best thing ever. Right. Uh, and it's not because now you're going to start feeding into mediocrity. And it's really, it's really dangerous area to enter. What I meant was, it's having the logical ability, the logical ability to say, look, like, yeah, this isn't a big deal, but I woke up this morning early, as I said I would. I went to the gym, as I said I would. I went to the cold plunge, as I said I would. I didn't find any excuses. I didn't find any any way out of it. I did, you know, because the body is a, is a, is a, is a, is a is very it's kind of like a it will pull it will pull Jedi mind tricks on you, right? It will try to oh, get yeah. you to do things and give you alternative reasons not to, so that you're actually fully justified 
in um in 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 not doing what it is that you're supposed to do and this all has to do with spotlighting right so as you enter in an area where something is uncomfortable or something is perceived to be uncomfortable of course it's seen as a deadly threat it doesn't even matter how threatening it actually is and then what happens is the brain will spotlight that event and say why are you nervous about this you probably shouldn't do this you might die and and it magnifies the risk so now you got to get yourself out of that spotlight and that's you know kind of part of some of the things I do with my clients, for example, it's, you can really fling the brain in this, but one of the things I've done recently was one of my clients procrastinating, procrastinating, going to gym all the time. And he's always finding an excuse and there's always work that, you know, a project that's more important or whatever. But at the end of the day, what's happening is he's spotlighting. It magnifies the risk. It raises his anxiety. And now other things are coming from the outside to interfere with that process so that he may stop thinking about going to the gym. So I'm like, I want you to do this. I want you to walk to the gym and I want you to go on the treadmill and make yourself have a little bit of sweat on your back. If you still don't feel like training, leave. And as soon as you do that, the body is like, okay, this is not a life-threatening situation. I can start scanning for additional threats. So now you've you've stopped magnifying the impact that the freaking workout has, you know, <laughs> right. on you and, and you can get to it. The Be Effective podcast is brought to you by Effective Fitness Training. EFT is a performance-driven fitness program designed to improve individual performance. Created by our team of physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists, and a team of active and former law enforcement with over 100 years combined experience. EFT is developed for those who want the most comprehensive fitness plan available. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the life of your membership. Sometimes we think what a situation or what a threat is. And then we perceive it in our brain. Cause again, we go down that rabbit hole of what could happen if I go, or what if I don't do this or what if I do do this? And that's something, you know, that I also struggle with too, you know, and it's, it's just kind of one of those things where a lot of people, a lot of people sometimes don't even realize they're doing it and they're not, you know, truly unlocking their full capability. And I think that's, that's where uh, specifically cops too, man, you know, they, they, they get stuck in that routine and it's just 20 year routine, dude. And it's just like, I, I didn't even put in 20 years, but I, I, I have friends that have, and I see it and I'm like, and now they're, I don't want to say they're broken, but they're like, it's a lot harder to teach an old, you know, teach an old dog new tricks. Right. Yeah. So this kind of, it, it, it's a really interesting concept because this goes essentially fixed mindset versus growth mindset, right? Somebody that's, that has a growth mindset are very, very seldom stuck in those patterns. They, they will encounter those, those patterns from time to time and they will have to self-police. But generally speaking, if somebody has a fixed mindset, and this is an interesting conversation to have because people are, are, are oh, well, you know, I have more of a fixed mindset. Like I'm not worried about consistently seeking the next thing or whatever. Well, a fixed mindset is actually an extrapolation of that survival mechanism. Like it, it, it essentially prevents you from seeking changes that are truly meaningful on account of keeping you safe. That is why it's so destructive because nothing great has ever been accomplished in the safe zone. Like it just doesn't. And so it's a really interesting transition. If you, if, if somebody has a fixed mindset, then you have to start 
having the conversation about getting out of their comfort zone, about doing something that's difficult in increment. I'm not talking, yes, it's good to have lofty goals. You know, that counts as secondary achievement, but you want to make sure that you actually have an implementable plan that can go incrementally because you can't be taking the steps from A to to, to Z, you know, and that's what humans are trying to do all the time and it just doesn't work. So what you need to do is if you do have a, a, a fixed mindset, and first of all, don't pride yourself on that. It's, it's, it's not a point of pride. Like it's, it's something and you can acknowledge it, but it's certainly not a, a point of pride. And now what you need to start looking at is how am I going to get myself out of that pattern? And it's really, it's great because the, the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex has the ability to reset context on anything we do. And we can actually, we can mold this. We can, and we see it with, you know, realigning primary reward systems that we 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 can we can even do that so think about food for example food is one of the you know most sought after dopamine hit we can get but if you can sort of logically override it with knowledge and research and you understand that intermittent fasting has its benefit and when it should be applied and all this good stuff you're actually capable of getting a dopamine hit when you are not eating and, right. you know, and so you can actually change the context on, on this using that. So it's really important. So that's one of the things that I, that I work with my, when I work with my client that we discuss, try to establish whether or not they're stuck as a result of, of, of having a fixed mindset or if they have a growth mindset that we can really dive into. And so if, if they don't even have that, now you're kind of, you're, you're below step one, you know, you, you kind of have to start there before any meaningful change can occur. Have you uh have you watched the Conor McGregor thing on Netflix? I did. You did. Yeah. I I just I just finished it. Um He is he is a force, right? And so I I think when you talk about the fixed mindset and you talk about like the flexible mindset and all these things, the amount of of you can just see in his eyes, he is so driven to overcome anything. Right? Like he is so driven to overcome absolutely anything. I thought it was very uh, – I love watching and learning about athletes uh, who are at the top. I, I, I just love seeing how they perform because they're not normal people, right? They are, they are, they, they are not normal people. Um, and so I find it very interesting whether they're you know F1 formula drivers, NASCAR drivers, uh, you know – Gordon Ryan, Craig Jones, like, you know, I mean, those guys, their, their mindset to competing, their mindset of, of their body and performance is just, is just crazy. But seeing like, you know, guys like Conor McGregor and, you know, Khabib and all these like absolute savages more in the MMA world, man, I just feel like the MMA world is just, it's a different breed. It's not like basketball or any of that stuff. I'm not a huge fan of like what people look like recreational sports. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't watch it. I don't follow it. I don't really care. Um, but it's just, it was, it was kind of crazy to see his mindset. What would you think, you know, from what you've been doing, Conor McGregor, like, or someone like Conor McGregor, like, what is, what do you think his mindset has to be like to come from, from what I understand, he came from nothing to selling proper 12 for $600 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Conor is a very, very, he's a, he's a, he's a God. He's, he's, you know, his journey and his mindset needs to be studied for science in the sense that, and I don't care, you know, if you agree or don't agree with his antics, you know, cause not every, he's not everybody's cup of tea. And I'm not suggesting that 
I, you know, a hundred percent support everything he does. Cause sometimes he's being a knucklehead and, and yes, Same. maybe it's for, maybe it's for publicity, but at the end of the day, I don't write people off on, on certain things. I take the good and discard, discard the bad, or if they're too bad, they're out of my life. <laughs> but anyways, Fair. what can we learn from a guy like this is basically what I'm getting at. And, and there's two things that really, really strike me with him. A self-belief is unshakable, unshakable. And you know, he, he, that is difficult, you know, because he he can lose, he can get hurt, there all those things, and it has happened. But yet here he is, continuing, continuously being his biggest believer. And I think probably Dev, his wife, is probably close second. But uh, the bottom line is, his self belief is unshakable, and that's very, very difficult to do as humans. Because as soon as you start chipping away at your confidence. You go, you you have you run the risk of going down those rabbit holes that can really overtake you, and now you can start impeding your own performance in the future. Think Ronda Rousey, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know Ronda for sure, and she's evidently achieved some incredible levels that I was never even close to. But you can tell that from the day that she started, when she was really, really running a high confidence rate, she was destroying everybody. As soon as her confidence was hit even ever so slightly, you start her breaking down over and over. Right. And there is, it's, and this, and I don't blame her for it. It's difficult. Right. And so for him, there's that piece. And, um, and then there's, there's the piece where he's so focused on growth and growing and the process. And so when you focus on the process, like, let's make, let's make a quick, uh, a, a quick analogy. Imagine if, if in your life you focused on meaning. So I focused on obtaining meaning in all things in my life, for example, right? What if you focused on meaning instead of happiness, right? Because imagine what happens to your self-confidence when something interferes with your happiness. Your, your mission, your end goal is happiness and you're not happy. Are you failing the mission? The answer is yes. You're really not you know, but metaphorically you are. Right. And so, and so if, but if you set a goal such as meaning in all things, you can get hit by absolutely everything and find meaning in it. So now you're, you're, you're on a successful mission statement. You're actually, you're actually successful in your mission, which increases your self-confidence, increases your, your, um, it lowers your stress levels, you know, your central, from the central nervous system standpoint, all of those things. So now you can engage in things that are that are continuing to be challenging and con- continue to pursue meaning. And so that's kind of what he does. He, he focuses on growth. He focuses on the process. He doesn't focus on outcomes so much. Yeah, win some, lose some, whatever. And so his ability to persevere and drive despite the prospect of and the reality of failure is, is unmatched, right? It, it, it yeah, simply is. But it, but it ties right into, if you look at the soft community, for example, if you look at any, any units that has a really, really high attrition rate, by the time you're done coming out of the pipeline, failure is a part of life. It's an acceptable part and it just happens. Yes, you don't want it. Yes, you're going to do what you need to do, but this is what, this is what the difference is. Instead of focusing on the outcome, which is the potential outcome, which is failure or success, you focus on the process. And if you focus on the process, the outcome that you sought will be the outcome that you want. But if you start switching from one to the other, you'll increase your stress response, which of course decreases your ability to perform as well as you could. Like there is a lot of rabbit holes you can, you know. So 
again, lofty goals, incremental steps. What is, what is the next step towards success here? And so with Connor, once he ends up, once he ends up at the top of the heap, his name is all over the place and he's a, he's a larger than life character. Now he can embark on a different journey, proper 12, this other thing, because it doesn't matter what Connor McGregor sells. People would buy it. Like, so it doesn't really matter, right? Like, and so for him, he, he, at this point, he's just being a businessman, you know, and he's being a good businessman because he's securing his future. I mean, he's, he's what, 250 million in right now? Yeah, he's, he, he, he was the highest paid athlete in 2021 at $180 million that year, mm-hmm. which is insane, right? Uh, think about where he came from in a shorter period of time, right? I mean, it was early 2000s. He's, he said, he's like, I was on food stamps, basically. Now he's flying private jets everywhere, right? It was a meteoric rise, meteoric rise, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 absolutely insane to see that. And I just for those that have not seen it, I I highly recommend just you know kind of giving it a a watch and listen, but looking at it from the perspective of him psychologically, and you can just see in his eyes that, and again, just like you said, the ability to to shake off failure and move past that. Is it again? Is you know? Is also like a trained skill. I mean, I've had world class shooters. I've had JJ Rakaza, Shane Coley on the podcast, um, and those guys are obviously world class competition shooters. And you ask them, I mean, because you know, obviously they don't win every single match, but they just their drive to be the best is that's why they're the best. Like it, it's just so crazy to kind of dive into that world. Anybody that's the best at anything, and you have a chance to talk to them, talk to them, whether it's Business, shooting, jiu-jitsu, uh, anything. If they're the best in the world at it, they've they've worked more than anybody has to get there. And it's so incredible to see that mindset. Now, what have you guys found to be able to, to accept failure but not let it hold you back? What is What kind of advice can you give to the listeners? Um, yeah, you, you can't really accept failure and then let it hold you back. If you let it hold you back, you have said that you accept failure, but you actually haven't. Right? If you, ah, so, so right. if you, it, it, this is a way to trick your brain into thinking that you're doing the right thing, which you know you should. But from a visceral standpoint, or for some con- at the subconscious level, you are still not letting go of it, and that's the reason why you're not able to do that. So, if you're actually truly, truly taking failure in stride then you will move past it and you will reattempt when 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 the time is right because sometimes if you fail at something perhaps you need a bit of work before you reattempt like i'm not going to stand here and say well you you know you fail you just keep on trying keep on trying and keep on trying like it's not like that there has to be some strategy behind that but if you're truly accepting a failure as a part of the process then it theoretically should not hold you back that makes perfect sense no it's 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 true. And one thing that's helped me with that is the business side, right? I kind of transitioned from law enforcement to more of the business strategy side. And I've, I've learned a lot in, in being an entrepreneur for about four years. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs because like, my dad was an entrepreneur and seeing the stress that he had to deal with. I was like, man, I don't know if I, I don't know why, if I wanted, you know, why. cause again, he would bring that stress home, right? He would bring that stress home. He would see it. Amazing father. He's my hero. Like I absolutely can't say a negative thing about him. Now he's a retired granddad and absolutely loves life. Right. So, um, he's earned that he's earned every minute of it. Um, is ruining your kids. 
Oh, dude. <laughs> Honestly, man. So my dad's uh, first, he's a first generation immigrant uh, from Iran. And so like, man, the, my dad takes zero shit, bro. Like it is like, I mean, I was raised like when I see kids that like, I remember when I was growing up and like, I would see how my, my friends uh, would talk to their parents and I was, I'm looking at them like, bro, you come to my house, you say, I don't give a shit if whether you're my kid's dad or not, he was going to pop you across the room. Like this, I've, I've never, I mean, it was, it's just so crazy, which I'm very thankful for that now. Uh, knowing what I know and kind of being a parent, I'm very thankful for that discipline, you know? Um, yeah. So with that being said, you know, on the entrepreneur side is, is setting goals, strategizing, setting quarterly goals, agendas, bucket lists, you know, quarterly rocks, all these things that I n- never knew existed and how to grow, a, you know, a, you know, a successful business, but also the ability to, to give up the short-term gains for the long-term goals. And that's what's really helped me is, is sure, I may not make a bunch of money or like, okay, I can make a bunch of money this month and I could take it and I could, you know, do whatever I want with it. Or I could take that money, reinvest it into the business. And then in eight months or a year or two years, that may pay off or it may not. Right. But I, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of the risk of business, but the ability to, to be content and the ability to understand that, that, that short term, um, what you might consider a loss could be a long-term gain. And I think that's also hard, uh, concept for some to, to realize as I, I have mentored a few cops, uh, that are trying to start a secondary business. And the biggest flaw that I see, not flaw, but the biggest setback that I see them is the ability to take risks. Mm-hmm. I think that's a law enforcement thing. A hundred percent is. So this is, this is why this happens. And I addressed this on one of my, on one of my mindset uh, workshop in relation to the introspective leader workshop. But basically this has to do with the, the the consistent assessment of risk in the context of physical harm, investigational risk, organizational risk, you know, risk that are quote unquote catastrophic, especially on the physical harm side. And so what it does is again, we, in, in order to, to stay safe, we have to look at what we have in front of us, look at the total, take into account the totality of the circumstances, but also shine a, a magnifying glass on the fact that this is policing. And in the context of what we are doing, there's an inherent risk that comes with it. So it's always implied, right? And so every time you look at something, you look at it through the lens of somebody that assesses risk for a living in the physical realm. And so right. when you move in business, though, what business people do is they will take noodles and they will toss them on the wall and one of them would stick because the rest of the noodle, noodles falling isn't catastrophic. There is nothing catastrophic about it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? So you just kind of need to realize like, yes, I spent a lifetime assessing risk in the context of policing where consequences are dire, but this isn't this. This is completely different. This is business. Very rarely are consequences dire unless you're, you know, putting all your eggs in the same basket and go, I'm going for broke and then you lose everything. But, and so it's just having the ability to realize that we have the propensity to do this. And this comes down to what we were talking earlier, self-awareness, self-regulation. You don't know what you don't know, but if you at least know to look, you'll find out, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that's man. That is that is a really really good point. Is you, you don't know what you don't know, and I've mm-hmm. I've had really good mentors in my life. Um, currently, do 
my dad being one, one of my business partners being one. Um, and then his mentors are also my mentors because obviously he's just trickling down what he's learning from his mentors. And obviously as you elevate in whatever realm you're in, whether it's business or law enforcement, whatever the case may be, you're going to learn that there's different levels to that. And my, my old captain, who's a, a phenomenal human, used to always give me the dance floor analogy. Like when you're on the dance floor, it's, it's loud. There's a lot of people you can't really see, but then you go one level up and you can start to see how many people there actually are. And you go above them and you start to see how those people look at those people down there. And then it's not saying that you're better than them. It's just a different point of view, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a 40,000 foot view as opposed to a, a, a five foot view. And it's a big difference. And that's kind of where, you know, people sometimes have the issue of when it comes to the social side of that is, is when they elevate, they may potentially lose people. Um, Steve, Steve Harvey, I'm a, Huge fan of Steve Harvey, actually, um, and, and, and how he speaks, the comedian and talk show host, if people don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. He, he, talks about, he talks about elevation, and he talks about how some people can't handle it. Uh, people, who, people who are elevating don't know how to, how to process it, and people who aren't elevating while that person's elevating also know how to process it. He, he kind of makes a comparison of like a rocket ship going to space is, all the rockets are firing at one time to get you off the ground because gravity is so heavy. As you start to elevate into space, obviously air is thinner, gravity becomes less, and then those other rockets start to fall off as they help elevate there. He goes, it's not saying they weren't useful, and it's not saying that, that they didn't help you get there, but it's just saying that sometimes you, you might be destined for different things, and accepting that can be very difficult for some because obviously you, you are who you surround yourself by, and to be to be a hundred percent frank with you, I've 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 lost a lot of who you know, kind of what I would consider friends, and the real ones are still here. And there's like five, maybe, out of you know potentially three hundred, right? Like that's a whole mindset change too. Is is your whole social social interaction with people as you elevate? Man, surround yourself with savages surround yourself with savages absolute savages and i and i and i mean that in the most respectful you know sense of the term sure uh, regardless of what field of endeavor they're in they're getting after it they're wanting they they have a growth mindset they're wanting to bring people along you know for the ride they're doing it for the right reasons all of those things if you're if there's there's a, a certain quote that says something to the, to the, to, the, to that effect if you're if you're in a group and you're the seventh person in a group of six millionaires, you're going to be the seventh one. If you're in a group of idiot six and you'll be the seventh one, right? <laughs> like, right. so it's just, it's just, this is what happens and we know, and we know it does. And there's a variety of different reasons why that happened. But right now, as we speak, I'm surrounded by absolute savages. And one of the things that I do from time to time is having a little cigar night. So we go out and have our little cigar night and I bring friends that are not in our circle, so to speak, you know, like they're doing a very sort of static job and they have a bit of a static mindset, but they're very nice. They're very engaged. They want to learn those types of things. So I bring them in for a cigar night and, and all of them without a single exception said, spending 30 minutes with you guys, I feel more motivated to take on the world than I ever have before. Like, why is that? You know? And so, and so it has an incredible impact. Also, if you're surrounded with people that have a fixed mindset, 
this is what happens. And this is what relationships are lost along the way. If you have a fixed mindset and somebody is growing, that is threatening to you. Whereas if you're growing as well, you guys are going in a similar direction. And even if there's different rate of growth, it's less threatening than having somebody grow as you are staying status quo. And so now everything, including insecurities and everything are exponentially sort of magnified. And so now What's the best course of action in that case? Well, obviously deflection, right? So I'm going to deflect and I'm going to turn into a victim. So now I got victim mentality attached to this. So now everything that Adam does is actually personally attacking me for whatever reason, which is of course founded in, you know, irrational thoughts. And so it's really interesting. But if you're, if you start developing that growth mindset and you start developing momentum, and you're really elevating as you, and when I say elevating, I don't mean it from a pedestal standpoint, right? Like obviously you're elevating yourself as a human being in your pursuits. You will see people fall off that can't keep up, that cannot keep up. And it's not just that they can't keep up, but also they have a negative reaction to what is occurring with you. So they're, they're actually destructive and you will feel that and you'll be gone. See you later. Or they will remove themselves because being around you makes them feel inadequate to an extent that they no longer can bear. Yeah. And that's, and that's real. That is real. And and that's just not in business guys. That's also like the law enforcement world. And like, you know, I try not to dive into the comments too much on police posts and, and all those, you know, all those things. And they'll be like, well, most cops, I'm like, look, why are we holding each other to such low standards? Why are Mm -hmm. you accepting the fact that, well, all this and all that it's like, yeah, well, you know, you have to try to increase the standard. That's what should happen. That's, that's, that's everyone should want to elevate themselves, right? Like if you look objectively at a human, they should always want to elevate themselves. Just like you said, it's like a pedestal. It's, and it may not even be like financial. It may just be like emotional elevation, right? Just learning to be happy with yourself. You know, obviously the financial side and the business side play a major role and can play a major role in that, in that, you know, like in that happiness, um, There was, uh, but you know, but the people that you are around with, um, are, are extremely, extremely, extremely important. And so I'll give you an example. We have, uh, some guys that are on the team, whether it's with EFT or EFC, and some of them have left law enforcement to come to work here full time. It's a very, very tough decision. I, 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 it was very hard for me to leave law enforcement, um, very hard. And I, I still even struggle with it today, even three years later, but we've had guys recently leave, um, that did not retire and they were very scared. They're like, I'm leaving security. I'm leaving. The risk is so much higher. And then that's kind of where I had to come in and kind of coach them and show them the other side, not necessarily make that decision for them, but show them the benefit. I'm dealing with the guy now. He's not a cop. Uh, he works for a relative, uh, a multi, he's a, he's a guy in a cubicle for a multi-billion dollar company. So you can imagine what his life is like, right? <laughs> he is he is living a life of quiet desperation. But the thing is that the hobby that he's good at is the skill that we need. And I tell him that, hey man, you have an opportunity here to do what you love. Think about that for a second. You have an opportunity here to pay your bills and to do what you love. And you could hear the hesitation, the scaredness in his voice. And I was there. And I started laughing and, you know, we just had these conversations back and forth and, you know, I'm trying to convince him like, Hey man, just dip your toe in the water. You don't have to jump in on, you know, you know, hundred percent. I totally get it. 
But understand, you'll never know. You can always go back to that multi-billion dollar company because they will hire you because you're just a number to them. They don't care about you and you probably don't care about them because you're just there. Mm-hmm. And that that whole, it's it's that cliff where people are just, you have the parachute on, bro. Jump out the airplane. It's the funnest thing you'll ever fucking do, mm-hmm. right? And the risk of you failing is almost slim to none. Because what is failure, right? Failure is fine, but just like you said, the only detrimental failure you can have is death. Everything else you can get back from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it, it's just you know, kind of one of those things where where I love seeing people leave a job of absolute miserable security is what I call it and do something they love to do. That's it. It's that simple. Yeah. And you know what, for them, when they, when they, when they come out of that, they look back, it's kind of like being in a, in a toxic relationship. And often you can be in a toxic relationship for seven, 10 years, whatever. You don't realize how toxic it is until you leave. And when you leave and you look back, you're like, I don't even know how I did that. Like, I don't know how, you know, and so you can really, really change your reality. But for guys like this, when I have, like, when I do performance coaching with some of my, my clients and I have somebody say that to me, what I generally do with them is I have them write the pros and cons, but I have them write, what do you bring to the game? Okay. So I want you from a professional standpoint to outline and to draw out what it is that you bring to, to the game in this business. And then on the other side, what is the con of leaving, for example? And so now what you see is a full side of all the stuff that they bring to the game, which are grossly undervalued generally. And, and, and on the other side is, you know, maybe I fail, maybe I lose my job, maybe I don't have a regular paycheck for a couple of weeks or whatever. And so now what you have done is you have visually given them a look, this is what the risk actually is. It's quite minimal. And if, and as you said, if it doesn't work out, all the skills that you have outlined here are going to help you go back in, whether it's in that company that you were in or in another one. It really doesn't matter. Like you are never going to be out of work. Cops are absolutely horrible because we don't understand that all the institutional training that we are getting, all the stuff that we do operationally to validate same training, all the reassessment that we constantly do, none of this is is, is very... I should say very little of this is done in regular life. And Agreed. so when you, when you exit and you go in the, on the marketplace and you bring that skill set and that, that capacity for introspection and all of those things, and even to, to have some ownership and have the ability to take blame for things, which is a very rare thing nowadays in the, in a regular, in regular life, you now become an incredibly valuable asset, but you are undervaluing yourself a lot. And when I first switched over as a, from the policing world to the business world, I was, you know, still thinking exchange $75 for an hour of your life, right? Like that's what my mindset was. And a very good friend of mine, Jay Park, a very good businessman here in, in Vancouver <clears throat> said something interesting to me. He goes, look, when you are billing these people for coaching or for presentations or whatever the case may be, you are not billing them for four hours of work. You are billing them for the 20 years it took you to be that guy. That's exactly you know? right. And that really changes, that really changes your mindset in, 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 you know, you, you, you start, you start understanding without overvaluing yourself because that's also not healthy, everything in moderation, right? But understanding your value from a, from a, from a critically, from a, from a critical and 
analytics standpoint. Like, look at it. Logically override those emotions. The fear emotions are being magnified on account of you're going to do something that has the potential to kill you as far as the body is concerned. But the risk is in there, so we know that. So you can take that off. So so what's left? And so the best way to address this is to logically override it, but it can be difficult to do. So write it down and create yourself a visual aid to actually say, look, I'm looking at it. I am right. looking at it. This is, you know, <laughs> right. So it, it, no, it becomes almost tangible. No, you're, you're exactly right. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle. And I really like the pros and cons list, man, that, that is huge. And I, I've actually done that before. I do that with a lot of things, the risk versus reward. I mean, that's, this is where like the translation of, if there is anything that does translate over from law enforcement to the business world, I would say it's the risk versus reward concept. Obviously the risks are a little bit different than the reward, but the ability to assess that saying, okay, if I do this, what happens, right? If I don't do this, what happens? And that's where with the whole business side, man, this is again, as I, as I learn and grow in business and I, there's so many guys that I learned from that I don't even know, for example, like Alex Hermosi. Uh, is a really, really good reference. He has a podcast called The Game and he basically will tell you how to grow a business. And I've had conversations with him on Instagram um, and he's done some work with uh, with a couple of partners of mine, but he's, a 20, he's 29 years old and he's worth like $200 million. <sighs> like the amount of knowledge that guy possesses. Now granted, he doesn't have a family and things like that. There are different factors. Mm-hmm. People are motivated for certain reasons. Like I'm a, I'm a 100% of, I'm a big family man. I need to provide and protect. He doesn't, he doesn't have that. So his mindset is just basically focused on growing his business. But just like you said about the 20 years people are paying for that time, man. And you know, you, you think about what you've done in your life and people need to stop viewing money as money. Money is a tool and that tool then allows you to do certain things, right? Allows you to eat good foods, allows you to maintain a high level of health Hopefully, it allows you to make investments, security for your kids, for you and your family. And if you start viewing it like that, you have less of an emotional attachment to money. Because I know cops are about, I need to work overtime, need to work overtime, overtime, overtime. And they will, they will, they will give their life for $40 an hour. Just think about that for a second. For, you may have 20 years in, you'll be giving your life still for $40 an hour. Here's, here's how I exemplify this with, with people. And, and this is what I do in some of my talks. I will, I will go, I will go to someone and say this, like you're exchanging an hour of your life for $70. Say, for example, as some of the cops around here is pretty much what they're getting, right? Or around that. So, so I'll, so I'll go cool story. Now I'm going to take that hour and I'm going to tack it on to the end of your life when it's your last hour on this planet. And I'm going to give it to you with the person you like the most and you tell me how much that hour is worth right so exactly. the reason why the reason why this is irrelevant to us is because we have taken it we have taken time which is our biggest currency for granted we have taken time for granted it is not an infinite well it's finite and at some point it goes and if you start treating it as such you stop wasting it you stop giving it for for things that and so don't get me wrong because when I did that as a, as a policeman, when I, when I exchanged my life for time, it was a lot more than time. 
and money for me. It was about purpose. It was about meaning. Policing gave, gave my life the meaning I needed, the purpose that I, mean, that I needed. And those things all have to be factored in. So whatever your version of success is in the context of a professional or personal endeavor is what you need to be aiming for. If for you is to be security, uh, sort of have some financial security, but you're not looking to drive around in a Lamborghini, but you want a family life near the river, all this good stuff, well, then make that happen. But what you were saying about money is absolutely correct. If you focus on money, it's kind of like focusing on sleep when you go to bed. Right. It's not happening. You need, you need to, you need <laughs> right. to focus, right. you need to focus on the right, on the right pursuit and money will be a byproduct of that because what's going to happen with you, you're going to start lining up your actions with your thoughts and you are actually going to slowly and incrementally going towards the, the, you know, the preset goal. And with that is going to come a level of success because anybody who has a lot of passion is invested, has done the work is going to have success in their field of endeavor. Very few are not. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's almost, it's the concept of manifestation, but not necessarily on the spiritual side, more on the neuroscience side, right? Like where, where, and this is coming from way smarter than me, <laughs> people way smarter than me, such as Gino Calura, a, a, a doctor I work with, but basically those concepts are real. Like you can manifest things if you're lining up your actions with your thoughts and, and, and you, and, you know, one of the example I use to exemplify that with people as well is what happens when you break, say, for example, you, you, you just been through a really bad breakup and your spouse was driving a blue CRV Honda. Well, for the next six months, as far as you're concerned, Honda has only created blue CRVs and they're all in your city, <laughs> right? right? Because, and so is that the case? Is that the case that there are more CRV on the road? No, there isn't. But you have started lining up your thoughts with your actions, which are looking for scanning paying attention, right. doing all of those things. Well, you, that's on a negative side, but you can take that and flip it, send it to the positive side and do the exact same. That is the concept of manifestation. And so go after what you love, what provides you meaning and purpose. And, 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 and I will stand by that until I'm, I've seen it over and over and over again. It takes time and it takes the ability to sustain the hit while you're going there. Evidently, you need to have something to support you as you're doing that. I'm not, sure. I'm not, this is not a utopian, you know, just follow your dreams. And <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, right? Um, yeah. So I got a question too, and I'm, I'm not sure if you guys have discussed this or, or there's any backing behind this, but the time frame in which someone does that. So for, for example, I was relatively young when I decided to take that leap. I've had friends that are older, way older than me, that I say way older, not trying to insult anybody, but let's say <laughs> 10 years older than you me. You lost your five left, your five friends left. That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that's fine. Um, I'll make more. I have already have two kids. I can make them more. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where, where the time frame in which someone does that, is it, I mean, obviously there's so many variables. There's the opportunity, there's the time, there's the fucking weather. It could be possibly, you know, um, like again, I've had friends that decide they want to be entrepreneurs at 50 years old. And I've had friends decide to be like you guys, like Alex Ramosi, 25 years old, he was making $45 million a year. You know, is there anything that 
you know, is, is it life experience or is it just like, is there any, is there any one factor that kind of stands out? What I like to say to people is things don't happen when you want them to, they, they happen when they ought to oftentimes. And so, you know, one of the things that's beautiful about life is that there are no rules. Like there's social rules, don't get me wrong, and there's laws, as we know, but there, but there are no rules on what you do with your life. But we are setting these boxes around ourselves and we actually stay in them like we like it. It's almost like being in a, in a prison that doesn't have walls, but you're staying in it. Why? I don't know. I'm supposed to be here. Are you though? Like you, you're 54. You want to, you want to switch and go into policing. We had a 54 year old graduate from the academy when I was there. And you know what he right. did? He put in like 12 or 13 years, man, 13 years of policing at 54 years old. That's a lot, dude. Like good for you. Yeah. And he loved his job. He was in he a small. He feels 250 years old now though. <laughs> you know what? He was in a small posting and he was having a, sort of a, a, you know, a small detachment where there's like one or two members. Oh, good. And okay. It was like a small community and everything. And that's what he loved. Like he loved that. So he, no, he had a great. 12 or 13 years or whatever it was, right? He's lucky. You go to a big city, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, his freaking blood pressure shot up. He gained mm-hmm. a bunch of weight. Uh, but but when you when you speak to to people that have been, especially the previous generation cops, from what I can see or for what I could see in my organization anyway, excuse me, is people will let certain things define them and they will make those things very... So they will look at life through one lens, the lens of a cop, and this is who they are, and this is what they do, and this is, you know, what gives them meaning and purpose. And then they will not divert from anything else or, or explore other things that give them, that add dimensions to their personality. And so eventually what happens is the job defines them. They're a cop. That's what they do. So anything that takes that prospect away from them is terrifying. Because what are they without that, you know? And so that's why it's really important. Like wellness and policing starts long before you're reactionary. Oh, I'm starting to see things. No, that should have been done long before. We need to teach our our people that how to set up, to implement some strategies so that there are multidimensional in their approach to life. And they develop on the intellectual piece. They develop on the physical piece. They develop on the, the social and uh, spiritual and, and, you know, all of those, all of those things have to be developed. Their, their circle has to be not just cops and they have to have other people around with different backgrounds that will bring light to certain things that they, you know, necessarily wouldn't think of. And, uh, they have to do, they have to do all of that in preemptively before policing starts chipping away at their at their you know at who they are as per as people and so right. and so wellness starts long before policing you know and if they don't, you can yeah and they don't and the agency's not gonna do it for you because your agency you, again you're just enough like when you left you got all these plaques on your wall mm-hmm. when you left they already had somebody in your spot next thank you for your service get the fuck out they don't sure they don't, they don't care and that's and that's sometimes hard for guys to digest. And then they get mad. They get mad that they're treated that way. And then, but the reality is, is you've always, the day you signed up, the day you walked in, you were excited to get your gun and badge is the same. Nothing has changed. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, it, it, it speaks to controlling what you need as external validation. Right? right. And so when we have, that's within our purview to control that. I mean, we can control needing less external validation and re-internalizing those processes and actually 
seek internal validation. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. I'm, this is of, of everything I do in life. This is the thing that I do the best is internally doing the things that I need to do and never expecting anything external. And so when nothing happens, I'm never disappointed because within me, this was always what this was going to be. Right. And I can tell you that it is the absolute most liberating thing to not be attached to anything external that is outside of your sphere of influence or outside of your direct control. Oh, dude. Because you're, you're essentially what you do is you're in a passenger seat of a driverless bus and anything that happened, you're at the mercy of. Whereas you're, you're, if, if you're, we're talking about levels of control in terms of having control over your life, you are having exponentially more control if you refocus your reward system to an internal, internally based reward system. And so, and so for me, when I left the organization, they, they, they tracked me down forever to try to give me my badge. I don't give a crap. Like I actually don't, I don't need the, the paraphernalia of my, you know, former career dangling around. I have certain items related to my career that I really love that I have, you know, behind me, some, some, some frames that the right. team gave me or whatever. Yeah. But that has a, a, this is a meaning. The meaning is my boys, you know, giving me love before I left, I left the organization, all this good stuff. And so this is very meaningful, but as far as having somebody, something define me, such as I need my, my badge encased so that I can, you know, still have my badge or whatever. And members are going nuts over this. I, I'm on a retired member, uh, Facebook page and everybody I've, you know, I've ordered my badge, you know, six months ago and I haven't gotten it. And Anyways, long story short, I, I, I'm not even, I haven't responded to any of the emails because I don't care. I don't yeah. want my badge. It's I've moved on, where, you know? Yeah. I, I loved what I did. I, I still, I still think it was the, it's the greatest job I've ever had. Uh, I, even what I do now, I feel fulfilled and I'm very grateful for what I do. And I'm sure you, you feel the same way. I wouldn't trade it. I don't, I have no regrets, uh, I don't have anything like that. Um, I met some phenomenal people. I've met some really shitty people in the profession and that's just, that's just kind of everywhere, but I wouldn't be who I am today without my experience. And I'm, I'm and you and I were discussing that kind of prior to the conversation and, and you know, for those that do continue to serve and I'm going to speak for you is we're very grateful for the work that you do. And, you know, which kind of leads me to my next point is don't hesitate to reach out uh, to Zeb or, or, you know, kind of even to myself, I have a, I have a few guys, um, that whoever's listening, you guys may know them, but my job now is, is to help. My mission is to help the law enforcement community, uh, in multiple ways, you know, obviously providing the fitness and the combative side of things, but, but also trying to elevate law enforcement officers. I know a lot of cops that are entrepreneurs and they're, and they have great products. They have great missions and they're just stuck. They're stuck because they don't know how to get to the next level. And that's where I, I love giving my time to these guys. I don't charge them a dime. I don't charge them for anything. I love seeing the community elevate. And the fact that I'm able to do that, I'm, I am very grateful for that. And I'm sure you are as well in doing what you do, which brings me to my next point is what you got going on. <laughs> I got lots of stuff going on, but to Let's echo what it. you to, to echo what you said, what you said just before I launched into this, I'm the exact same way. I mean, I've made it my life mission to continue to support the law enforcement community and our law enforcers, you know, in, in all 
in every way I can. And, and I'm the same way. I mean, I've, I've done more for the law enforcement community since I left the law enforcement community on account of having same. all these members like sort of reaching in. And yes, and with you, with your platform, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't even, you know, I don't even scratch the surface with my little thing there, but, uh, but for you with the platform, you're running a hundred percent and, and, and that's great. And, and, and it continues to be a contribution, a, a contribution to public safety, which is a community responsibility. It is not a law enforcement responsibility and everybody's getting, well, law, law enforcement or police is responsible for safety. No, the community as a whole is everyone. This it's Agreed. everybody's responsibility, but that again comes to that deflection piece, you know, like everybody talking about who's doing what for who, but nobody doing anything. It's like, what are you doing for wellness? What are you doing for this? When you start looking internally instead of externally and waiting for external things to occur, you start making things happen, even if they're not perfect. They're going to be better than none. You know, a, a, a moderate plan now is better than the perfect plan later. Something exactly. like that. Amen. But uh, yeah, so as far as what you are talking about, so I, I do a variety of different things. My performance coaching, individual and collective, is continuing strong. So that's having one-on-one -on -one with people on Zoom and working through some problems as we discussed, you know, in in their own journey, as we discussed during this podcast, but also doing it with teams and corporations and, 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 and detachment police or otherwise organizations. And so it could be in a variety of different ways as an actual performance coaching piece, which is how can we optimize performance in the context of what it is that you are doing on account of fixing some of the internal mechanisms of you, not so I don't need to know anything about your business. We can just have a conversation <laughs> and I will get to what you are currently doing with your inner state, so to speak. And it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a wizardry, but it, it does, it does do wonders. And so I do, I do that a lot. I do, um, you know, the leadership portion, which is always something that I've been extremely passionate about. So I have really three workshops, uh, all part of the introspective leader workshop, which is all about teaching. So in the first portion, we're teaching mindset and we're teaching the things that are going to make you as good as you can be and optimize you in the application of the leadership skills. Because if there's too many issues with a person or their mindset, you can teach them the best skills in the world, but they will always be skewed by the, 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 the rotten foundation. Right. And I mean this respectfully. You need to look in, you need to look where it's hard to look, where it hurts, and you need to make some meaningful changes so that you're able to optimize your success in the application of the skills that you're going to learn later. And then we launch into skills application. And then on the on the sort of a, the third workshop, we're into leading through critical circumstances. So how do we lead when things absolutely fly off the handle and so and that can be in a corporate context or it can be in a policing context it's it's metaphorically applicable to the corporate concept but it definitely was rooted in catastrophic failure in the policing world and so those are some of the things i do i also do a lot of overseas training a lot of overseas uh, consulting security consulting with ngos and and all kinds of organization uh, currently i'm working on some submissions for some you know training overseas for some national police forces in some third world countries. I've been to Haiti three times, you know, last year. And so I do a lot of that, but I also do a lot of guest speaking appearances and a lot of, a lot of podcasting, obviously the podcasting piece. I just love, I just love doing, right. I just love having great conversation with great people. And so I just love that. 
we have a platform. I'm, I'm theoretically it's, it's Sean Taylor and Chance Burley's have the collective, which is a platform by veterans for veterans to teach them all about all kinds of stuff. And we bring all kinds of guests this week. We had Pat Mack on there, you know, which it was, it was an amazing talk and, and, and the collective is on YouTube. And I'm a, a regular contributor to that show because I strongly believe in the mission, which is providing veterans with actionable items that they can do to make their life better and stop, you know, sort of looking back and awesome. stewing and, and all this good stuff. So that's on the go as well. So there's, there's, and I'm doing my master's. I'm, I'm in, good I'm almost you, finished man. now. I got a, um, I'm one major research project away from finishing a master's in international security, global counterterrorism. So man, it's just, just busy. Keep you got busy. a lot of stokes in the fire, my dude. I love it. <laughs> I love seeing your success, brother. I love, uh, I remember the last time we chatted, it was, you weren't doing as much. I mean, mm-hmm. you're doing a lot, but now you're doing even more than that, which is, which is awesome. I love seeing you elevate. I love seeing basically everything, what we discussed. Um, you are, you are a phenomenal resource for those that are looking for some type of coaching. Don't, Guys, don't sleep on that. It may sound like, oh, perform life coaching, blah, 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 blah. It may sound stupid. I, I can promise you life coaching and performance coaching is not stupid. Multi-millionaires and multi-billionaires do that. I know for a 100% fact they do that because I know people that do that kind of stuff. And I follow them and I talk to them. And those resources are invaluable, you know, and that's, and that's where I, I think people are also scared to make that investment, guys. It's not your money is a tool. And those tools are there to help you achieve certain things. Knowledge and you know, preparing yourself is important. So where you used to have your website? So the website is under construction now. It, okay. by, by all accounts, it should be done within the next couple of weeks here. And, and I had that on the back burner because really I didn't need it. The word to mouth was, was good enough for me for the, for the time being, but now it's become necessary. So it, it should be up in a couple, uh, in a couple of weeks here. And I'm sure I can, you know, send you a link once, once it happens. But please the, do. The best way to get a hold of me right now is my Instagram, which I'm sure you'll, you'll. Absolutely. Yeah. We will have his Instagram tag in the show notes below and, Give him a follow, and then when you ever get that website, brother, just uh, send me an updated link, and we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead throw it up there. But Zed, thanks so much for your time, man. Looking forward to working with you in the near future, hopefully. And uh, until next time, my good friend, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, brother. Be All safe. Right. You too.